Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to the first podcast of 2022 of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. The show is back and just in time for National Pork Rind Appreciation Day, which falls this year on February 13th. This day always takes place the same day as the Super Bowl. The sharing of the day is likely for a number of reasons. While today all pro and collegiate footballs are made from cowhide leather, they were once derived from pigs, and the football is often still referred to as the pigskin. Plus, a carnivorous food like pork rinds fits well with the toughness of the game of football. Here to talk with me about all things pork rinds is Tom Donegan, co-founder of Field Trip Snacks. Along with pork rinds, Field Trip also produces jerky and meat snacks, all great foods to serve at your Super Bowl party. Tom, welcome to the program. Thanks, Aaron. I'm excited to talk pork rinds. Me too. This is a show that I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I appreciate that we're able to get you on and right before the big game happens. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be consuming a number of flavors of our pork rinds during the big game, so I'm excited to share all the things that we offer on this front. Awesome, and you have so many great flavors. We'll get into that in a little bit and into pork rinds, but first, let's talk about how Field Trip got started. Sure, yeah. No, I'd love that. Funny because the name of your podcast is uh, The Appropriate Omnivore, and one of the things that really triggered for me earlier on um, when I was still a lawyer, I was a lawyer for a number of years before we started this company, was was uh, Omnivore's Dilemma, actually. Um, and I, I found that uh, book to be fascinating and, and loved all aspects of it. And it really got me thinking about a, a food business and, and how we could make a difference and, and change the way that people viewed snack foods, especially in, in the uh, jerky space. So uh, like I said, I, I started my career as a lawyer and did that for four or five years. And I just didn't have a passion for continuing that career path. I liked law school. I just did not like being a lawyer. People are always saying why we couldn't do things instead of why we could. And I didn't like being the check on someone's passion or ability to take chances. I wanted to be the one taking chances. So I uh, got together with uh, two buddies from college and both were in various career paths and we all had this passion for our own business and we decided that we should take a chance. We started with jerky. We had three flavors. We were launching the product in 2011 is when we first hit stores and at that time the jerky space really was a traditional gas station 10 syllable words all the eights and the eights in the back of the package on the ingredient list and something that people really kind of kept as their dirty little secret. No one was eating jerky outright in places like New York City or any of the um, metropolitan areas that we thought that jerky would be a great holdover snack. Jerky has high protein, low fat, easily packable in a purse, a briefcase, a pocket. So we thought that we really had an opportunity to disrupt the landscape of what, as I said, has been just kind of this chemical-filled product that no one was very proud of eating. So we started in literally riding our bikes around New York City, talking to any store owners that would listen to us. We did our first trade show in June of 2012, and we had a lot of excitement around the product. Uh, that's when we first met JetBlue. JetBlue was looking for a la carte snacks, 
for their flights, and we were able to develop a relationship that actually uh, is still existing today. We have a great relationship with them, and jerky has become a very popular onboard snack in the U.S. Wonderful. And for me as well, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma was really what got me inspired to learn more about this, and the name Appropriate Omnivore is definitely an homage to Michael Pollan. And I love your story. I think an amazing thing about the natural foods world is people come from all walks of life. It's not necessarily just working in conventional food, but people come from law. I've met other attorneys that have gone into this, people from IT, engineers, all kinds of things. And I think that perhaps in the fields they're working before, they learn something about food and they love it so much that they want to go into it. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, coming from different career paths provides a lot of flexibility as far as figuring things out. Having a legal background, I've been able to work through the USDA approval system and the trademark approvals and things like that. Not being intimidated by things that otherwise might be intimidating, especially on the legal side of things, has been helpful at starting a business and continuing to grow a business. Oh, I bet. And now, so you talked about how originally field trip was about making better beef jerky, which is something I can totally relate to. I loved beef jerky since I was a kid. And when I first got involved with doing this blog, I started seeing some that were called natural, but a lot of them actually weren't really that natural. They didn't say anything about whether they sourced the beef. And so I felt like definitely it was something that needed to be filled of ones that were truly living up to what they said and not just calling it natural. Sure. Yeah, that definitely is something that we noticed as well and something that there is a lot of buzzwords that you can use to describe a product where it might stop the inquiries any further into the product. Right. So you started with beef jerky. What made you then decide to expand into pork rinds? So we saw an opportunity in the pork rind space. I've been a fan of pork rinds for a number of years before we even got into it. But we definitely saw the rise in the keto movement, something that didn't really have that much traction when we first started with jerky. But as we continue to grow the business and looking for further product extensions, we saw pork rinds being a great opportunity because they're crispy, they're crunchy, they're airy, they're such a great potato chip alternative for people who are looking for a low-carb or carb-free diet. So we started exploring this process and the different flavors that we could really expand upon the set, you know, not the traditional sea salt and pepper and spicy type stuff. We really wanted to upscale the offerings for the pork rind set. So we, we like the idea of a barbecue, but for us, we really like something that had a, a unique twist on it. So our Island Barbecue has a great pineapple-based seasoning blend that is just super flavorful and very unique. Our sweet chipotle and our Parmesan peppercorn also have that unique variety that buyers and consumers are looking for in a pork rind offering. And our most recent addition to the line is our cinnamon churro, which for me, the concept was taking, you know, those, I don't know if you've ever had them, but I can definitely say I'm guilty of the cinnamon twists from Taco Bell and kind of upscaling those into a pork rind offering. And and it's been really well received. It's a brand new product that we have. We launched it on Amazon and the reviews thus far are stellar. It's probably our best review product we've had to date. And it's been really great to see that something that we like as much as these are translating over to the general consumer. Well, that's a big part of what the appropriate omnivore is about. So I love that new cinnamon churro flavor because very much a focus of the appropriate omnivore is 
taking foods that we like, but finding a way to make them better that I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging some of these conventional food brands or conventional restaurants with coming up with stuff that tastes good, sure. but it's about then finding a way that we can make it where we won't be afraid to eat it. Exactly. Yeah. Every other month there's Taco Bell showing up at our office. I'm not sure who orders it, but <laughs> being able to indulge in the cinnamon churro flavor without having to feel guilty about consuming Taco Bell on that frequent occasion. And I love your sweet chipotle flavored pork rinds. Chipotle is a great flavor to me. I think a lot of people may misunderstand it. It's somewhat spicy, but the thing really with chipotle is it's very smoky pepper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that the words that people use about certain spice. I would say the same thing about our gochujang Korean style barbecue that we recently launched. We use gochugaro pepper in that, which is obviously a pepper, but it is not overly spicy. It just has a great umami flavor to it, something that I'm really excited about. I've been consuming a lot of it, and it seems to be really resonating with buyers on the store level. So again, something that has spice kind of inherent in the product, but doesn't really punchy in the face with a mouthful of heat. Right. Yeah, I think great choices on the flavors. Have you met anybody who said that they hadn't eaten pork rinds before, but knowing that a company like yours makes one with clean, all good ingredients, they're able to eat pork rinds now? I'd love to say that I had more time in the field to be able to engage with the consumers on that front. From a consumer standpoint, I haven't met anyone, but I know that from my experience in the trade show circuit and having conversations with various buyers at trade shows, people do give foods an additional chance at trade shows that they otherwise might not. And it's been amazing to see people's reaction to our brand because usually it's the kind of pork skin, fried pork skin, and they smell it and it doesn't smell like a typical pork rind smells. And I'm not going to go into detail there because I don't want your <laughs> listeners to have any negative thoughts there, but it smells like a delicious pork snack and it tastes great. Clean, it's crispy, it's airy, it's not going to break your teeth. It's a great experience. I'm happy that when we set out here, we wanted to introduce our brand as a great alternative to a potato chip or something else or like a puffed snack. It is a great alternative to a puff, even a pirate's booty type, a puffed corn snack. It is a great alternative to that because you're getting protein, you're getting great seasoning, but you're not getting a ton of sodium. It's a great product for people. Similar to the buyers who have discovered your product, as someone who explores a lot of these conferences for my blog yep. and for this podcast, I know we first met last year yep. at the virtual Natural Products Expo West. That was the first time actually that I had tried pork rinds. I think for two reasons. One, it was sort of just the disgust of kind of, ooh, pork rinds, that doesn't sound so good. And just kind of the whole stigma of them. The other thing is, I am Jewish and yeah, didn't really know a lot of people eating pork rinds growing up. But yes, when I saw it at Expo West years ago, I thought, oh, I have to give these a try because these are clean ingredients and just let's see what these all are about. And I love them. So I'm certainly one of the ones that's a convert to pork rinds. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, on, on that front, when we first launched the pork rinds, we didn't want to just blare in people's faces that these were pork rinds or pork skin. And we thought maybe a softer approach to it would be a good thing. So we named our, our pork rinds Crispy Cuts, something that was kind of catchy and would kind of give you an idea of what you were going to be consuming, but, you know, not give you, you know, all the gory details if someone didn't want them. But from what we've seen is that these are such an accepted snack in, you know, the last five years. It has been incredible to see all 
the different keto boxes and all the different companies who are really kind of evangelizing this type of product to a diet focused consumer. And it's been great to see. And and I got to say, there is no more passionate food consumer than a keto consumer, because this is a product that provides something that they really can't get many other places. It's that crunch in a diet that otherwise is lacking because they're looking for their carb intake and they can't consume their guilty pleasure, potato chips or whatever else they would be consuming and and pork rinds kind of fills that void. It certainly does. And we are seeing so many different pork rinds. And even I think some of the older pork rinds, they're now marketing themselves as keto friendly. One thing though about them is this goes back to the beef jerky that while beef jerky had been on the market for a long time, it was a hard time finding a clean beef jerky using pasteurized animals. I'm seeing a similar thing with pork rinds that a lot of pork rind companies, they can source this keto friendly. They can maybe even try to slap on the quote unquote all natural label. But a lot of these pork rinds they're trying to market as that are not really such. Yours is one that actually does market from the right farms and ranchers. What do you look for in terms of who you partner with? We definitely are looking at, from the ground up, how the animals are treated, especially on our jerky, 100% grass-fed. We want to make sure that everyone's meeting all the requirements that we have as a company. And for us, with all of our ingredients, we look at an allergen matrix, and we want to make sure that what we're saying is, is true for the product. So on our sticks, it's definitely a challenge to continually source all of the high-quality ingredients that we're looking for, but we definitely are making sure that what we say is what we do and the people that we're sourcing from are doing the same thing. And I'm sure there's again where your legal background comes in handy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. It's been helpful to be able to sort through all the different facets of sourcing. And in terms of the future for sourcing, are you looking at going any further into any type of sourcing such as sourcing regenerative or certified organic? You know, we're continuing to look into the different ways that we continue to be responsible as a company. We definitely are looking at making sure that our brand has offerings for all types of diet. We love the meat snack side of the business, but we also are looking at different ways to attract a vegan or a vegetarian consumer to the field trip brand. So different projects that are kind of stirring up here at field trip based on one, we never are able to sit still as a business. We're always looking to improve and expand and dial in things that we've been doing. So we're excited about the future. I think that a major component of our business in recent years has been really focusing on allergen-free type products, but making sure that they are as delicious as they possibly can be. So we took a sidestep with our newest offering with the chickpea butter that we have because my business partners and I each have two or three kids. So we have kids that are entering into a school system where their diets are severely restricted in school based on allergen concerns from fellow classmates. So, you know, making sure that we are providing products that everyone can consume if they want to. Yes, I've seen the importance of not just marketing to like a keto and paleo audience. It was similar, I know, with the company, the new Primal, where they started with making the sticks and then the jerky and kind of surprised people a little with 
then going towards dressing in condiments. But it was, yeah, it was a similar thing that they felt that they needed to also market towards that audience. And I think your chickpea butter is actually good for a number of reasons. I also think it does fit with your overall brand. Earlier, I was talking about how the jerky and the meat snacks and, of course, the pork rides were great. Super Bowl snack. But, you know, I think actually the chickpea butter is great, too, because a lot of people at the Super Bowl do want to put peanut butter on vegetables and peanut butter, allergen issues, and also peanuts. Unless done right, it can be very unsustainable peanut farming. So I think chickpea butter could also be a better option to serve at your Super Bowl party. Yeah, no, it's been great for a dip, especially for what I actually love is we have a chocolate chickpea butter and dipping a cinnamon mm. churro pork rinds into the chocolate chickpea Perfect. butter is incredible. You know, it's a really good combination. So I'm always pumped about that. Melted chocolate before and dip the pork rinds in it, and it is quite a decadent treat. It is, and it's important to get into that because, like we both said, we're omnivores. We're influenced by the omnivore's dilemma, and an omnivore is eating both <laughs> yeah, for sure. plants and animals. Yeah. So that's appropriate omnivorism, creating a better jerky, creating a better spreadable butter. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I like your choice of chickpea butter because... Chickpea is something that I think sometimes doesn't get much attention, but there's actually a lot of health benefits of a chickpea. They're incredible. They really are. I think whoever Sabra or whoever first introduced the hummus to mainstream American market, and it just took off. And hummus is fantastic. I think the problem with launching a chickpea butter during the pandemic is that consumer education has been harder to come by. You know, demoing in stores has been severely restricted and people don't want to try something that has been touched by another person in the store. So I think that the confusion with the chickpea butter is that people think that it might be a hummus type product instead of a peanut butter alternative. Mm. So kind of wading through those problems has been a challenge, but also exciting because it kind of made us step back and say, okay, well, if we can't communicate the usage of this product to a consumer face-to-face, how do we do that? And it kind of shifted the way that we were looking at the branding of the product. And it's been kind of fun to explore that side of the business and the distribution associated with a jarred product instead of a pouched product in a stick or a bag. It is sustainably raised. The chickpeas that we purchase are based out west and the farms and the production facilities that are used are just idyllic. It is amazing to see these beautiful uh, fields and structures that our chickpeas are coming from. So it's been really cool to explore that side of the business. Wonderful. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits of chickpeas that we can use as substitute for different grains and nuts and legumes. Yeah. In addition to sourcing the right ingredients, there are also a lot of nutritional benefits of pork rinds. What do you see as the main health benefits of them? I think the main health benefits for me is that you're providing a snack that is nutrient dense, that allows people to fill a void where otherwise they might be consuming high carb, high sodium, I'll call it a throwaway snack. Whereas in our pork rinds, I think they are being consumed as a way to hold over from meal to meal without really breaking the bank as far as your caloric or your carb intake for the rest of the day. Yes. Another advantage I would add with pork rinds is they're actually a great source of collagen, which is something that we don't get a lot in our diet anymore. And when I had interviewed Pam Schoenfeld, author of The Collagen Diet, she had listed pork rinds as one of the foods that's a source of them. And I was like, wow, because I just thought, oh, that's a great snack food. But to think that pork rinds for collagen made me love them even more. I would agree with that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Your pork rinds, they're fried in lard, right? 
There, yep, fried and rendered pork fat. Anytime I'm cooking a pork shoulder at my house, I always make sure that I get the shoulder with the skin on so I can trim it myself and use the skin as another additional treat for guests when I'm doing a little barbecue. So it's always fun to produce a product on scale and then kind of dial it back, have an experience for people at my own home. Would you say it's important to fry the pork rinds in the right oil? Because interestingly, I see some pork rinds are actually fried in vegetable oils, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, I think it might be trying to make a marketing point and kind of failing in the process. I think that the way that we do it, you know, I compare it to people, you know, our other brands using olive oil or canola oil or coconut oil. And I don't think there's a better way than using the fat that the pork <laughs> produced itself because it is melt in your mouth. It's delicious. It actually fits better with most diets than all the other added oils that people are using. It is. And it's definitely a market fail and kind of weird if you ask me, because I mean, I know a lot of people still have the fear of saturated fat, but if you're buying pork rinds, I don't know why you would be so concerned about what it was cooked in. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to go that far. Yeah, I don't get that mentality. No, these ones are the diet pork rinds because they don't have pork fat associated with it. Like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, a weird phenomenon, if you ask me. I'm on your team there. Excellent. And pork rinds, jerky, meat sticks, all things that we're seeing more of. Do you think in general that people are looking for healthier snack food? I think so, for sure. I think with the way that our society moves and interacts, and you know, now as a, a parent myself and with three small kids, sometimes the traditional three square meals just don't fit into our lifestyle. So finding healthier snacking opportunities for, for myself and, and for the kids critical because your body needs nutrition and if you're going to be snacking you should be snacking on something that is adding to the overall benefit of the diet so i think that people are continuing to snack and even with kind of a ratcheting back of activity with the pandemic i think it just provides more opportunity for people to be snacking at home and making sure that people have a healthy and nutritious snack has been something that uh, I'd love to be on the other side of it to be able to provide that for people. Yeah, a lot of these natural food companies, organic food companies, I know are certainly shaped by wine good food for their children. When you and your partners had started this company, did any of you have kids? We did not. Nope. No one was married when we started the business. And as we've continued, all three of us have gotten married and all three of us have kids now. And obviously the chickpea butter has been influenced by the inability to send peanut butter type products to school. But it also is great to be able to produce products that you can send to school with the kids. My business partner has slightly older kids and sends meat sticks with his kids to school for snack and they love it. And he feels good about those decisions, them consuming that and also sending them with high protein good fat type products to school. Right. I mean, it's foods that I think work for all ages because I know I started eating beef jerky and beef sticks as a kid and I still love them as adults. So I think that adds another layer to the company. For sure. And so has it then affected the products that you're working on developing? Yeah, it definitely does. I think that the cinnamon churro pork rinds are a great kid-friendly flavor profile. You know, it's definitely not spicy, even though the sweet chipotle is. We discussed earlier aren't overly spiced and the peppercorn on our parmesan peppercorn can sometimes be a little intense and they just are very kid-friendly snack opportunities so yeah whether kids will like it definitely is a major consideration of ours when we're developing new products especially knowing how we purchase products for our kids we find something that they gravitate towards it's 
a lot more of that product and less of things that we had a reaction that wasn't as positive. So being able to offer products for all age groups is something that we're big fans of here at Field Trip. As I look at all of your flavors, I noticed there's kind of a theme of a balance of sweet and spicy in a lot of them. Yeah, I think that to date we have avoided anything that is just straight melt-your-mouth type spicy. I've seen the videos of the different challenges out there, like all the hot pepper type. One of the tortilla chip companies had just like one tortilla chip that they would send with ghost pepper on it, and it was just this excruciating experience. For me, I think flavor needs to be balanced from a CPG, a consumer product standpoint, and from a traditional cooking standpoint. I think that for me, everything needs to have some type. It shouldn't be overly salty. Everything needs to be balanced in the process. Fat, the salt, the acid, and the heat type considerations of how you're cooking something. It's very important for us to make sure that we put out products that are balanced in all the flavor components. It does. I do see some ghost pepper flavored chips, not a lot, and I personally like them, but... To me, that sounds like a very niche market, and I would think that it doesn't have general appeal to it. Yeah, for sure. What are some future flavors and perhaps new lines of products that we can see from Field Trip? We're always discussing further line extensions or product introductions. Nothing that I really can share right now. I definitely are making sure that everything that we are producing, r and has a home in the market and has the right flavors associated with it. So definitely love to share that down the road when things are a little further along. But Right now, we're really focusing on our newest flavors, getting the gochujang and the cinnamon churro into the brick-and-mortar stores and making sure it's available online and also making sure that we're getting further distribution on that chickpea butter. In the future, could you see both an expansion of more meat products and more veggie and fruit products as well? Yeah, I think that there definitely is some consideration there for expansion both on the meat side and the plant-based side. Wonderful. And what do you see in general as the future of sustainable food? I think it's just of utmost importance to make sure that any new products that are put into the market are done so with sustainability considerations. You think the future of regenerative agriculture will be growing? I think so. I think it needs to be. I think that just even looking at the way that we're making vehicle decisions in our society with electric vehicles, all the pledges that all the major auto manufacturers are making for their electric vehicle fleets and consumers are making these decisions with solar paneled homes. I think that sustainability is something that needs to be considered in all aspects of decision making. I think so too. And you talked earlier about finding the right balance of salt and fat and acid and heat. And in addition to the omnivore's dilemma, I know another major book, which has been pretty important in the food world is the book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Have you read that? Love that book. The series on Netflix is incredible. I have since been a consumer of that soy sauce that she found on that island in Japan. And it's like nothing I've ever tasted before. I think that she's incredible. Her recipe for the sage salsa verde that she makes in that book is incredible. Her smoked honey chicken recipe is just every time I want someone to be impressed with the way I'm cooking, I add that dish and it is incredible. Samin Nosrat her name and she's incredible. She also breaks down the way that you should cook in a very 
approachable and non-judgmental way. So I'm a big fan of that. Me too. I think it's a book that everyone interested in food should read, a must read for sure. Yeah. As we're talking about your snacks and specifically pork rinds, this is because the Super Bowl is coming up. Which team are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? <laughs> Man, it's been an exciting year of playoff football. I have been just so surprised with some of the outcomes. Oh, totally. My brother-in-law is a, a Buffalo fan through and through. Grew up in Northern California, but father was from Orchard Park, New York, and has been a Buffalo fan his entire life. My heart broke for him last week when Patrick Mahomes was able to put together a game-winning drive with 13 seconds left. I got to say, I think Joe Burrow, his is an incredible story. I know he was drafted number one out of LSU and had a great college season down there. I just didn't think that uh, he's going to be putting this type of season together this quickly. So I got to say, I'm going for Cincinnati in this one. I think that'd be a hell of a story for that organization to turn around league worst record two years ago to a Super Bowl win two years following. So I know you're LA based, so I don't know whether that's stepping on you there, but <laughs> I know that the LA Rams are definitely looking for a fan base and moving back out there. They had a limit or there was some story about limiting the number of San Francisco tickets that were being sold so that they truly had a home audience. Well, it goes double for me, actually, the Super Bowl, because I've lived in L.A. now for over 20 years, but I am originally from Cleveland, uh -huh. and the Bengals were one of our rivals. So for those two reasons, I am going for the Rams, but to anyone who's from Cincinnati, of course, I can't blame them for finally getting a successful team, <laughs> yeah. and for people... Not from either. I can certainly understand their connection towards the Bengals story. I hope that one day the Browns will have a story yeah, that they can connect with too, because it's been a while for us too. Although we have won championships before there was the Super Bowl, whereas the Bengals are too new to that. So I guess we can still <laughs> find comfort in that. But just, yes, when yeah, that does happen no, to the Browns, yeah. I hope that people are the same way with our team. I would say that there's been improvement for sure on the Brown side, but it's got to stink seeing Odell Beckham going to the Rams and leaving the Browns and then having the success there. But I think it's been an exciting year for football. I was mentioning to the guys here in the office, the playoffs have gone the same way that I saw the regular season going, where oh, totally. any team could win on any week. There was no super dominant force out there, which I think is great because I think for too long, a lot of sports have just been dominated by the upper echelon of the New York or the Boston teams, and it's nice to see some parity in the league. It is, and it was interesting because, as I recall, it basically came down to the last month that the Bengals were ahead. I think they were in fourth before, and the Browns have some things to work out, but they we're all like two games behind the Bengals, and I will remind people also that they did beat the Bengals twice, so I think if they could just <laughs> figure out how to use the talent, five pro bowlers, the Browns could be great next year. I think there's a lot of hope there. So I'm rooting for them, for you, because I think Cleveland could use that going for it. Although Cavaliers were definitely a nice spark for their hometown fans, right? Yeah, that was the first championship in the city in almost 50 years, so I think I'd be more depressed about the Browns now had it not been at least for that. <laughs> yeah, it's been an exciting year for sure. Yeah, and I do feel for the Buffalo fans because I went to college in upstate New York and many of my friends from there are fans of it. Of course, I also have a good friend in the natural food world, Laura Pomathis, who is on this show, who's a big Chiefs fan. And actually, I even one time watched a Chiefs game with her at a Chiefs bar. We were at a conference in Dallas. We found a bar there to watch the Monday night game with other fans. So there's 
a lot of teams I feel for too, but of course, yeah, Browns are always my number one love. <laughs> Aaron, where'd you go to school in upstate New York? I went to Ithaca College. Okay. Yeah, I went to Syracuse. My... Oh, okay. Yeah. Neighbors. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people that went to Ithaca. Yeah. It's a great place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know a number of people that went to Syracuse. Awesome. Well, so then we have a lot of things in common from an interest in grass-fed and pasture meats to sports to going to schools about 90 yeah. minutes away in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like you made the correct decision to avoid snow for the rest of your life by moving out to L.A. and being there for 20 years. I'm in Connecticut, and we just got walloped by the storm, so you know, I think you may have made the better decision there. I think so. It's not the main reason I went, but yes, it is definitely an added bonus. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. We're just about out of time, but before we go, let the listeners know where they can go online to learn more about Field Trip Snacks. Yeah, our website, fieldtripsnacks.com, has, has a wealth of information, and we're also available in a number of different uh, online marketplaces. You find our product on Amazon and a number of smaller retailers with a store locator on our website. Excellent. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Aaron, great chatting, man, and looking forward to seeing you face-to-face the -face, uh, upcoming show. Absolutely. I'll be attending many this year. This is after a couple of years of the pandemic. I'm looking back at getting into attending the shows. So it's good. And I love to hear what Field Trip Snacks has in the future. I'll let you know. Thank you. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are now released every Wednesday. Next week, I interview Nakisa Carr, founder of Nourishality. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.